This morning's passage is Ecclesiastes chapter 1, 12 to 18. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom, and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. This is the word of God. Well, uh, small group here this morning, but why don't you turn around and, or stand up and just shake someone's hand. Uh, now that the kids are all missing, shake someone's hand, we'll greet one another in the love of Jesus. Well, so good. You can grab a seat now. Grab a seat. So good to see the church in action. Uh, well, I trust all of you uh, were greeting each other already and with a warm welcome and getting to know one another. And uh, I don't know, back, back in the shepherd days, back in with the, with the sheep, the shepherds actually would, would have a, a stick called a goad. I'm not sure if you know this or not, but they would have this stick called the goad and they would sharpen one end to a point and then they would poke the sheep. Well, I'm glad uh, to, to get them to go to the proper spot they wanted them to go. Uh, we've got our hospitality meeting coming up <laughs> and uh, after church. And if you are interested in hospitality, we were going to use the stick of goat, the goat stick. It's just an idea, you know, to poke each other to where we want to go. No, this is not how it's going to happen, but something we're definitely going to think about and uh, brainstorm. But like into the Ecclesiastes, the, this book that we're in, this is going to feel a bit pokey. Uh, even as uh, Josh was reading the text for us again, um, oh man, it is, it is a big one. It is a hard one. It is going to make you think a little bit, but not just think. Like I opened up the series last week, I don't want you just to think about it, but may this turn us into action. May this, may this change us. And as I've said before, as we walk out our door here in this, in this uh, sanctuary that is a gymnasium during the week, uh, may it change us. May we think deeply about the things that this book is challenging us to think. We learned last week, that, and we discussed work, life, the sun, wind, water, the eye, and the ear, ending with the big idea that all is vanity under the sun. And this week we're going to jump in uh, to a little bit more, more intro and then some other things as well. But let me pray for us, and then I'll give you, give you the Coles Notes version uh, let me pray for us as we uh, begin. Jesus, we thank you so much uh, for your wisdom. We thank you that uh, you are um, the personification of wisdom, that we ought to look and seek you for you, uh, for answers, for clarity, for the things um, of this world, uh, because you are the creator uh, and sustainer of it. And so, Jesus, I, I pray that uh, our hearts will be changed 
And because our hearts are changed, our actions will then follow suit. And so I, I pray, Jesus, that um, like into what your scripture tells us, um, that we will uh, seek you and find you. And so I pray that uh, our hearts will be constantly seeking you this week as we contemplate the things of this text. And Jesus, I pray, amen. <clears throat> well, here's the outline for you keeners. Uh, it's on the screen there. It's, uh, we're gonna talk about a little more intro uh, for Solomon. And then we're gonna break off into two sections. Verse 13 through uh, 15 is the intro and is gonna hit search conclusion proverb. And you can see this right in the text. And again, another section, search conclusion proverb, verses 16 through 18. And you can see how Solomon breaks this down. Uh, in the scripture, but let me intro Solomon, verse 12, the reason why I'm introing him again is in verse 12, it says this, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. Well, last week I mentioned that there is some debate over the author and the preacher within the story, and, and here in our text this morning, I, along with many, see more evidence pointing to Solomon to be the preacher within the story, even though, though, though there is still debate over that. Uh, you can read, actually, Solomon's story in 1 Kings and First and Second Chronicles, and you will soon find out that he was a major character within the Scripture. Uh, major character, like mentioned 270-plus times in, in the New or Old Testament and about 10 times or more in the New Testament. Um, most... <clears throat> Most often, uh, we see uh, Solomon in the Proverbs, but uh, we see Solomon in the storyline that is told throughout Scripture. As you read the Old Testament, you see the genealogies, and it, and it breaks out into the New Testament. In Matthew, uh, you see the genealogy of Jesus, and, and Solomon is right in the middle of it. And with some more digging, you will find that the book Ecclesiastes comes from a Greek word indicating a person who calls an assembly, a person who calls an assembly. Maybe this is why he, in verse 1, 1, and here again in our text, in verse 12, he introduces himself as the preacher. And by the Hebrew word, uh, preacher means koeleth, or it's taken from the word koeleth, translated as preacher. And the Greek word for preacher, ecclesiastes, or ekklesia, uh, also forms the word we have today, ecclesiology, which is the study of the church. So looking at all these things together, we have, all together, we have the preacher, Solomon, gathering the church together to preach what he has discovered under the sun. Very interesting. The preacher discovering and sharing with his people. So in a way, as we read this incredible book, we are eavesdropping into the gathered people under the leadership of Solomon and the wisdom he has been given. And I say wisdom he has been given because if you aren't familiar with the story, Solomon gains the throne after his dad, David. David being one of the greatest kings of Israel, greatest kings and uh, greatest warriors. Uh, one God refers to the apple of his eye and as David's son, Solomon, he takes the throne. And you can imagine this, right? Like you coming in after one of the greatest kings, your dad, you'd probably have a little bit of hesitation of leading this people, this great nation. Well, so Solomon prays a very famous prayer as he enters into his kingship. And you can find this in 1 Kings 3. I'm just going to read a portion of it. It's in, like I said, 1 Kings 3, starting in verse 5, and then I'll skip to verse 9, kind of the meat of the, the prayer. But it says this, in verse, starting in verse 5, At Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said this, Ask what I shall give you. 
Many of you have read this text before, and Solomon said this, or a portion of it. This is where I skip down to verse 9. He says, Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? And it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this, and God said to him this, Because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen, lengthen your days. So moving into our text this morning, we have a preacher proclaiming what he has found under the sun. And this preacher is one that has been given supernatural wisdom supernatural wisdom to know between good and evil. And this phrase, good and evil, for, some, for, for those familiar to the story of God, ought to perk up a bit hearing these words put together. Good and evil. Right? You see, good and evil is like a hyperlink back to the garden and the curse found in Genesis. See, Adam and Eve stole the fruit of the one tree. In Genesis 3, we see this, the tree of good and evil they were told not to eat from, disobeying God's command upon them, leaving them with a curse as they toil the remainder of their lives. Sound familiar to our text? There's a toil. There's things that will become vanity. Solomon asked for this type of wisdom, and God generously gives it, but only to end in the same result as Adam and Eve. So the result that Genesis, and then the result of Genesis 3, 8, it proclaims this. It says this in Genesis 3, chapter 8, or verse 8. And Adam and Eve heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Remember this part of the story. It's in Genesis chapter 3. They're walking. They just finished eating the fruit. And now they hear the Lord walking in the, in the garden. And they do what? They hide themselves. See, the man and, the, and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. You see, the curse of the forbidden fruit was toil, which we see later in that same chapter, was toil over work and toil and battle in all interpersonal relationships. Adam and Eve were awakened to their sin and shame, and hear this, their relationship with God was fractured because they sought wisdom for themselves, not wisdom, God personified. They sought wisdom for themselves. There is now a fractured relationship because of this sin, because of this disobedience. See, in our text this morning, wisdom under the sun, like in the garden, is vanity. It is meaningless. If you don't have God, this is what the wisdom of the world offers. Some of you say this, searching is not a bad thing. And this is the, the context of searching. Searching and having a desire to know things so that you can better lead is actually the king's job, the teacher's job, the preacher's job. It is, in fact, an honor to do so, but there is something to be said about humble, trusting leadership in, in God Almighty and who he is and what he has proclaimed. See, with leadership, teaching, and preaching comes honor and great responsibility. And I would add fathers in there as well. Kings. 
teachers, preachers, fathers, it comes with great honor to be responsible to lead your families. In James chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. This is talking about teachers of the word of God. So that's a bit more background of this text, of who Solomon is, what, what he's been called to, what he, how he's been challenged in this text, and, and his prayer uh, for this, this uh, job of leading the uh, people of God into a promised understanding of who Jesus is, and it's heavy. And so now let's look at our second text, our second portion, and this is the search conclusion proverb, that first section. We're going to take a little bit more time in this first section, then we'll close off with that third section and hear some redemptive historical at the end. But search conclusion proverb we see in 13 through 15. And right at the beginning of 13, this is why it's the search. It says, and Solomon and I... And I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. And I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. So it's important to know what heart is referring to here. Because of the volume it is mentioned throughout this scripture and in our text this morning. You're going to hear this same word over and over again. Simply, this is the inner man. <clears throat> the inner man. One author says that the Hebrew term for heart denotes the center of one's inner, man, inner life, including mind, will, and emotions. And we have an inner man and an outer man. An outer man is the flesh and reacts to what goes on with the inner man. Like the outer man is wasting away. Like some of you helped me dig some dirt this last Saturday here, and you're realizing that your outer man is incredibly sore this morning. Right? And some of the wives are laughing because their outer man's man is hurting. For some of us, further down the journey, right? Like I talked last week, we're in stage four. Get your crap together stage, right? We're in our last stages. Uh, so the Bible put it this way in Genesis 3.19, in that uh, the toil that uh, we will face, the, the curse from the Lord, it says, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. See, the outer man is also re referenced as the flesh. It will one day perish, but as we as followers of Jesus are actually called to kill the desires of the flesh. This is our job as followers of Jesus Christ, to kill those desires. In Galatians 5.24, it says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And so we are killing our flesh, flesh, our outer man. We are making it subject to the inner man. And in Galatians 6.8, we see, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. Reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And so this makes sense, right? Like, like you do the things you desire and you will follow in that manner. And this also works with relationships. Like relationships. Remember I said in Genesis 3.8 that relationships are interpersonal relationship with God. They're fractured and it happens here today as well. See, when I was a teen teenager, someone said to me, if you want a loving, caring, and wholesome wife that cares about the values of Scripture. Do you think you should go find her at the bar, at the club, or at church and Bible studies and community group? If you want this woman, 
go and hang out in those places. And so I went to the bar and I found Jody. It was great. Just kidding. I went to Bible school. Went to Bible school, found Jody. It was great. But you get this, right? You want to be good in sports, you practice. If you want to be ripped like Jordan, you work out, you go to the gym, right? If you want to be good in math, you're weird, all right? It's just, it's just that simple, right? But you want to be corrupted, you seek things that will corrupt you, right? You seek things that will corrupt you. Your flesh will reap corruption. If you seek corruption or the desires of your heart, you will find it. You will find it. See, the unfortunate part of this is you will also be given the consequences of your decisions. See, an easy one to understand, but seemingly for our world still hard to fully grasp, is that if you have sex outside of marriage, the consequences will be disease, unwanted, mar- unwanted pregnancies, and separation from what God has called us to. This is what you will gain. These are the consequences of your actions. See, when in relationship you have a decision to make, either follow your heart or what God, and, or what God has called you to, and both of those come with consequences. Or you follow, uh, following God is hard. You, say, you, you have to say no to honor him rather than self, which is difficult. There's a, te- there's a temptation there to honor the flesh, the outer man. In 2 Corinthians 4.16, it says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is actually being renewed day by day. And the inner man is the self or the, the spirit, the soul and the heart. And that is being renewed day by day. Our inner man is eternal. And get this. Now, where we spend our eternal life is based on what you, from the depths of your heart, from the depths of your inner man, what you believe and confess. This is, this is where you will spend eternity, based on the inner man. Look at Romans 10, 9 through 10. It says, if you confess with your mouth, and the Bible constantly says over and over in the Gospels, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So again, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified, and with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. See, there's a change that takes place, and it starts at the heart level. What is going on in the inner man? So out of the heart, the body responds. So the body you can control, it is subject to your inner man. It is reactionary to what is going on inside of you. So with all of that, go back to our text and see what Solomon says. Now the preacher sought out wisdom under the sun with his whole heart. With all of his inner man, all of his soul, his spirit, he he dove into what this wisdom of the world might look like. And so remember, this is the preacher that had supernatural wisdom from the Lord. And in the weeks to come, we will see those things he pursues. The first thing the preacher pursued in our text was wisdom and found it to be vanity. Found it to be vanity. So this is the search leading him to the conclusion of verse 13 and 14. Take a look at it. So that's the search. The conclusion is here in 13 and 14. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with, 
I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. See, this conclusion is incredibly far-reaching. Solomon is using really big words like everything and all. He will start unpacking these things and the characters that follow, but generally, what can we gain from this wisdom as we sit eavesdropping on this sermon? So we can either take a look in our context and observe if this is true, that, that wisdom is vanity, or we can test this out on our own because we just can't be one that listens and follows. We have to experience it. I heard this firsthand, actually, on a, on a mission trip with a bunch of high school kids. And one, of, one of the girls came and sat beside me on the bus, and, and we were talking back and forth. And, and I'll never forget this moment because it was a powerful moment. And she looked at me with tears in her eyes and said, and she was Christian home, Christian school all of her life, and now graduating. This is her final mission trip as a youth kid in the youth ministry that I was leading. And she looks at me and goes, Jared, I know what Ecclesiastes says. And Solomon, he's like, I, I just want to try it. I just want to try things. You might be there. But there's a craving in all of us like that, isn't there? We all have been ruled in one way or another by something, and we must admit, if we really take a look at it, that it was just vanity. It was chasing after the wind. And it led you to consequences and things that you had to live with from that point on. See, I drove this week to visit a, with a good friend of mine, and it took me through the downtown east side. Uh, when I was living in Vancouver, I went through the downtown east side pretty regularly. And so not being there for about eight months, it was a little bit of a culture shock. I had forgotten about the, the garbage and the hurt and the suffering and the pain that a life of drugs brings. And it's a bit overwhelming. I used to spend once a month down there with a bunch of high school kids at one point in my life, and I heard a lot of stories. And I got to share the good news of Jesus, and, and you know, they became people to me. But what a crazy dichotomy, because if you walk two weeks, or two weeks, two blocks south from the downtown east side, you come into a very wealthy area of Vancouver very affluent, business-like. And Solomon here is saying, this is the life under the sun. You have people that chase and fulfill earthly desires, the desires of their heart, their inner man, and they pour everything into these desires, the desires of the flesh, just to be fulfilled. And they live in consequence the rest of their life. Or you walk two blocks south and you see the same people. They're just in suits, walking to their job, walking home, doing it all over again, over and over and over again, because they now, but they have toys and they have different things. They're just pouring their pursuits into different things. And wisdom said, or, or Solomon says here in this text, all is vanity. So the searching after wisdom, the conclusion that doesn't matter which road you take, it's vanity under the sun, 
And here the proverb in verse 15, it says, what is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. Simply what this might mean is under the sun, there is no changing the outcome of meaninglessness. There's no changing it. So whether you want to test this or not, you will come to the same conclusion. You will come to the same conclusion. No matter how hard you try to adjust the outcome, it will always and forever end in meaningless toil. Welcome to the shore. Let's take a look at the next section there. It's going to go a little quicker, but take, uh, again, we're going to hit that search, conclusion, and proverb. So the search is here in 16 through 17. It says this, I, the preacher, said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all, remember that supernatural wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge, and I applied my heart, there's the word now a second time in this text, or a third time here, uh, to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I applied my heart to know madness and folly. Interesting. We're going to hear more about that in the weeks to come. But Matthew Henry put it this way, a theologian, he wrote, So in, industrious was Solomon to Im- improve himself in knowledge that he gained instruction both by the wisdom of prudent men and by the madness of foolish men, by the field of the slothful as well as the diligent. He looked everywhere. Solomon went all in and learned from all around him to know madness and folly. It's crazy. And so we see some of his writings, most notably when it comes to wisdom and madness and Proverbs. And he wrote most of the Proverbs that we have in our scripture. And Proverbs chapter 9 is such a good one. Maybe take some time in reading that and have some discussion over it, even in your community groups this week. But Proverbs 9 depicts wisdom and folly as two separate women. Sorry, ladies, it just, that's what it says. Proverbs 9 depicts wisdom and folly as two separate women. In Proverbs 9, 1 through 12, we see the wise woman. The wise lady has built her house, has prepared a great dinner, and gives wisdom to those who lack it. Generous, loving, encouraging. Passover. The benefits to those who seek wisdom include becoming wiser and increasing in learning. In verse 10, it states famously, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And wisdom is even said to add years to one's life, which we saw in the text in 1 Kings chapter 3 in in the prayer and the answer from that prayer of Solomon. And if you continue to read Proverbs 9, 13 through 18, you see the other lady there. Folly is associated with a seductive woman. Folly or foolishness is loud and seductive and knows nothing. She seduces the simple who pass by her house. Those who turn to her find death. And in contrast to the lady wisdom who provides fine food and wine, the woman folly provides stolen water and bread eaten in secret. The ninth chapter of Proverbs then calls readers to embrace wisdom and to flee from folly or foolishness. Those who do receive many benefits, while those who do not will experience judgment. But here in our text, the preacher concludes that all, both wisdom and folly, under the sun are vanity. And you can see this in the conclusion in verse 17. It says it right there. I perceive that this also is but a striving after wind. Why? Why? 
Well, the proverb gives us some reasons. Look at verse 18. I told you we're going to go a lot faster through this, this section. Verse 18, it says, For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. See, vexation is simply grief, anger, or great unhappiness. For in much wisdom is great unhappiness. Why would this be the case? Well, you would think having more knowledge would increase your happiness, not create unhappiness. But this too we see in things under the sun, don't we? Actors, actors, athletes, rock stars that seemingly have it all, but yet take their lives because they, like Solomon, have come to a similar conclusion. The thing, the thing, in quotes, they're searching for is just not good enough. You see, Solomon found that no matter how hard you search under the sun, you will reach the same conclusion because all things, all, all things rest on you rather than on something outside of you is vanity. And that's the kicker in this, in this book series is that if you rest on things of this world and make them ultimate, it's vanity. It's a toil that you will end in dangerous consequences. So now let's flip, like last week I talked about, let's flip and see the redemptive historical. Let's look through Ecclesiastes now through the lens of the gospel, through the lens of the cross. And this is important to do in texts like this. So if to know and fear God is the beginning of wisdom, then where do you start? Where do you start? You start by looking toward Jesus and not yourself. And this may sound incredibly easy. I know many of you have gone to church all your life, but some of you haven't. Maybe this is new to you. But where do you, you look to Jesus? I know that, Jer. But do you? Do you? Because I know when I'm checking my heart, which I challenge you right at the start, before we walk out this door, let's continually challenge ourselves. We have to. Am I searching my heart? Am I actually going after Jesus? Is he the most valued thing in my week? Like, do we actually do this? And I might be taking out a stick right now and as a shepherd trying to poke you a little bit. Because I care and I love you. Staying stagnant is not okay. Staying complacent in where you are in your Christian walk is not okay. It's an ongoing daily action. So where do we start? Well, daily, daily. You start by considering your broken heart. The broken inner man. And then confess your sin and commit to change for his glory, not yours. Friends, this is a daily occurrence. And you remember the grace that he bestowed upon you and the love that he, that he poured over you through the cross of Christ and that his forgiveness is sure. One of the greatest phrases in the scripture, the most told phrase in scripture is his love, his steadfast love lasts forever. 
See, Jesus came to be known. Jesus came to transform our hearts, to believe and trust in him. Jesus came to forgive our sin. Jesus came to be our substitute and take the wrath of God for us. Jesus came to atone for our sin. Jesus came to credit us his righteousness. Jesus came that we might have life. And Jesus came to save our inner man that we might believe and confess him as Lord. From the depths of our heart that we would confess him as our Lord and Savior and that we would act it out. Our outer man would just do things for him because our inner man has been transformed. Matthew 7, 7 says this, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. He is offering you eternal life. Or in Matthew 6, just a little bit earlier, Jesus says this, but, for, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Sound familiar to his answered prayer to Solomon? Not only am I going to give you wisdom, I'm going to give you riches and honor. Here, not only am I going to give you life, I'm going to give you eternal life. God's wisdom came to give life, to pay the penalty, to provide a substitute in Jesus and to atone for our sin. And this, friends, is not vanity. You don't even toil for it. He does. See, I said over and over, Jesus came to, Jesus came to, Jesus came to. It's all his work. It's so good. See, no other wisdom can match this. Jesus says in Matthew 16, 24 through 27, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Are we ready, short church, to lose our life here on this earth for the sake of God's glory and for his kingdom? to live in community, to love one another, to care for one another, to, to take care of one another's needs, to help out when, when in time in pain or hurt or suffering. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul, forfeits his inner man? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul, his inner man? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Friends, either you will pay for your sin by the ongoing search, search for meaning within yourself or another man-made God, or you deny yourself and humbly receive Jesus as your eternal life, then live accordingly towards him. Confess Jesus today. Or renew your commitment to him as a follower of his. Renew your commitment that when you walk out this door, I want to commit myself to live for him today because of all that he has done for me. It's, it's the least I could give you, Lord. My life, you're the one that paid for it. It's the least I could do. To, to care for my kids, to love on my neighbor, to love on the church, to love on the people at your workplace, 
to exude the love and the passion that God has given you. Wouldn't it be cool if we as followers of Jesus all did that together? Lay down our life for the sake of God's glory. Are you ready for change? There are consequences that come with it. Let me pray. Jesus, um, not only am I standing here proclaiming these things to my family, but I know that you're working on my heart, Lord. So I confess to you, Jesus, before my family that you were not my greatest value this week. There's things that I turn to, that I run to for comfort, for me, to fulfill my inner man, which Lord and I see so clearly now that it, it's just vanity, it's just toil, it's, it's meaningless. Because that comfort is so fleeting. But Lord, when I experience you, It is so good. I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for your steadfast love that endures forever. I thank you for your grace and your forgiveness that you do forgive us when we confess our sins, that you're faithful, that you're just, that you'll cleanse us from all all of our unrighteousness, that your promises are sure. And so I pray in this time as we, we, as we sing and we reflect on our inner man of what's going on inside of our hearts that, that you will soften us, Lord, to hear what you have to say to us and that we will change, that we consider these things, that we will commit to new life and that we will change by your amazing grace and that we will, be, we will affect change in others and that we will encourage others through the life change that you've done for us. So I pray for this church. I pray for all of us in this. Lord, please transform us. We need you. In Jesus we pray, amen.